0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty, thanks for joining us today. Well today in the show we're going to talk about iron deficiency chlorosis in soybeans, but we would be happy to discuss anything that's going on in your farm if you want to give us a call here. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD, that's 844-442-4743 or you can send us an email radio at agphd.com. So, iron deficiency chlorosis in soybeans, I I just want to clarify this for sure, and this does affect a number of other crops too. This is not a lack of iron in the plants. So, it seems weird because you say, wait a second, you literally just told us it's iron deficiency chlorosis. Okay, the plant is short on a certain type of iron. So, there are, are two basic types of iron that we talk about. It's ferrous iron and ferric Okay, when things convert from ferrous iron over to ferric, that's not good. We need ferrous iron, and the problem happens when you have high pH soils. So if your pH is under 7, you're good to go. There's no problem, no worries with iron deficiency chlorosis in terms of uh, if you actually have iron in the soil. Okay, so I'm not saying you can't have an iron deficiency In lower pH but I'm saying this particular condition that we talk about and many people often address it as a disease in soybeans because it's not a lack of iron it's just a lack of the right form of iron and it all has to do with that pH so you might say well wait a second here you're what you're telling me is if I've got iron in my soil all I have to do is make sure that I get my pH below seven yes that's exactly what I'm telling you also, this condition gets exasperated by, exacerbated by high nitrate, high carbonates, high bicarbonates, high salt, high sodium. So all these things that could potentially be a problem in your soil make this condition of iron deficiency chlorosis worse. And a lot of times, honestly, what it comes back to is it's heavy soil, number one, with poor drainage, number two. If you fix the drainage, that over time helps alleviate definitely a lot of the other things because let's face it, salt is leachable, nitrates leachable. Um, You can make sodium leachable eventually if you uh, turn it into a salt with the use of sulfur, for example. So drainage helps, and that's one of the biggest things we always talk about with iron deficiency chlorosis. The other big thing is just addressing what nutrient imbalances there are in your soil. If you have a high soil pH, that's usually an indicator that something's wrong in the soil. A lot of times it's just simply an imbalance of nutrients, and if you get nutrients back into balance, then over time your pH will start to come down. Now you also, after you have your drainage issues fixed. You want to use some elemental sulfur to dry pH down, that can work as well, but you got to look at what's the underlying cause. What made that pH go up in the first place? You got to try to get that fixed. Otherwise, you're just going to be fighting this all the time, year after year. But iron deficiency chlorosis can be a major issue in soybeans. There are soybeans that are more tolerant than others, so that's the first thing we would tell you in the short term. If you can't get your pH and your drainage taken care of in the short term, at least pick a bean that is really tolerant to iron deficiency chlorosis. And then the other thing you can do is use some iron chelate in-furrow at planting time. So we're going to talk about these things as we go throughout the show today, but right now let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian
1: and Darren.
2: All right, Brian, you got talking about certain soil conditions that could create some problems, so I found a few for you. This comes from Brendan. He is up uh, about an hour and a half north of Winnipeg. And he said, "I've been listening to you guys for quite a while, and talking about soil pH. And I sent you my soil tests here. There are four at the bottom, just listed in the legal land description. Those are rented, not as big a concern. More worried about the land that we own. We farm up in the uh, up in the region north of El- of Winnipeg, and we, we're interested in putting on elemental sulfur to try to lower our pH. Wondering what's the best way to do it in the drill while seeding, or spread it on the in the fall. Wanting to work." on our fields more to profit this year. Is there anything else you see in the test you'd suggest been trying to build back up phosphorus the last few years? But, of course, that price
0: is kind of high right now. Okay, so first of all, we talk about elemental sulfur quite often for lowering pH, and in fact, I just did to open the show. The problem with the use of elemental sulfur without looking at anything else is that may not solve a high pH issue. The number one thing that's got to get fixed first is drainage. The reason why is because elemental sulfur, in order for it to break down and convert over to sulfate in the proper way, so you actually lower pH. So what happens is it'll turn to hydrogen sulfate or uh, basically sulfuric acid and it's going to lower your pH If you have good drainage, you have to have the good drainage because you need air in that soil. Without the air, the bacteria that make this conversion, they can't live. And what will happen is instead of turning your product to hydrogen sulfate, it'll turn it to hydrogen sulfide. And your soil will smell like rotten eggs. And that's bad for everything in that soil so you don't want that so fix the drainage first and when i see a 35 cation exchange capacity that tells me we've got really heavy soil odds are very high that you have a drainage issue out there so just make sure you get your drainage taken care of first if once you've got that then you have to look at hey do i already have a whole bunch of sulfur sitting in my ground or do i not and in this case uh darren and maybe oh yeah i got, i found it here um okay with sulfur in the surface so i'm guessing that's zero. Oh yeah it's zero to six okay we found in the range of let's see 50 to 225 pounds on this one sample i'm looking at but in the subsoil in the range of six to 24 inches they found 200 pounds in one they found 2700 pounds in in another. When you find 2,700 pounds in your subsoil, that means I can promise you, you have a drainage issue. Fix the drainage first. Maybe that sulfur that's already there will take care of your pH problem once the drainage is fixed. Beyond that, I'd say your potassium's really, really, really low. So that's got to get addressed, get some more copper and zinc and boron out there, a little bit more manganese too, and you should be in good shape. Stay tuned, we'll be right back.
3: If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every growers high yield toolbox.
1: A history of success means proven performance. But let's call performance what it is. Profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of DeKalb Brand Corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support. Let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how DeKalb Brand Corn can help you realize a future of performance. Always read and follow IRA where Applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD radio broadcasting from the Morton studio. Today, we are excited. We have a fellow jackrabbit on South Dakota State University's Anthony Bly. Anthony, thanks for joining us today. Yes, you're welcome, Darren. I'm just, I'm just fired up. It's playoff football season. Isn't that strange? It's planting season and it's playoff football season for the jackrabbits? (laughs) Very odd, very odd, but we'll
5: take it, Darren, we'll take
2: it. <laughs> yeah, we definitely, it sure beats the snow flying during games. Okay, so uh, we're talking about iron deficiency, chlorosis, and soybeans today, and we get so many questions about this, and, and sometimes growers get a little bit confused about, all right, there are a lot of things that, that uh, are called potential causes for this, between high pH, nitrates, carbonates, bicarbonates, uh, uh, what is it? What's really causing this and what should growers be doing?
5: well, yeah, you you nailed those conditions on the head there, Darren. and what what they're what's happening is under those conditions the 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 huge amount of iron that we have in our soils is is believe it or not unavailable. and the plants just can't take it up in the form that it is because of all those things that you listed. and uh, so, so crops like soybeans that struggle with iron chlorosis, you know, we see it, and it's a big problem.
2: All right, so we get a lot of different things, and obviously, we can pick different varieties, and we can can utilize some different fertilizer type treatments. But I want to talk to you about a couple of different things. How about crop rotation? And what kind of impact you might have there? And also, if you're putting cover crops into the rotation, are there some cover crops that can thrive in these higher pH or sticky or salty soils and help to start releasing some of that iron? Yeah,
5: you know, it's all about, you know, when we when we say plant those soybeans thicker to alleviate that problem, it's all about the masses overcoming the issue, and more organic acids released, and and uh, and all of that helping to make that iron converted to its available form. So, so cover crops, you know, um, that's just another living root out there doing that. And uh, you know, I haven't seen the the scientific evidence to support that, but I would hope that. Having that living root and, and and creating some more organic acids, you know, is going to help in the long run. And and having that cover out there, um, I think will too. And you mentioned cover crop rotation. You know, um, I I think that different root architectures we see when we when we plant these different crops out there versus monocultures or maybe just two crops, you know helps that root exploration that is needed. And, uh, you know, I, I would think it would help, but, uh, again, I, I don't have the scientific proof, but, uh, you know, I I would I really think we're going in the right direction. Well,
2: I, I agree, and I, I it's, it's tough because a lot of times we'll get questions on who knows what, and well, I haven't seen any studies on that, but let's just use common sense and think about how much is it really going to cost you to pick one cover crop versus another. Well, probably nothing. Seed costs might be really similar here. So just using common sense, what is going to grow the best in those types of spots? And a lot of guys will say, well, when I used to raise wheat, or I used to raise some barley that grew pretty well right. in that area of the field Well, go back to that put that in that area of the
5: field it makes a lot of sense yeah. to me to just get something growing absolutely it's about that living root and the successes that we need to have and and, and sadly you know the markets are so attractive for for soybeans and boy we want to put them put them all over and 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 but hey we've we got to do the right thing and um you know knowledge is power and if you know your soils and you know that they have a problem, uh, let's grow something that you'll be successful at. And well, so barley is an excellent option there in those little That's
2: That's what I think. And if we get in those salty spots, that's a crop that really grows. But, you know, so many growers that we'll talk to say, well, it's always in the same spot of the field. It's just in 10 yeah. acres out of this quarter or something like that. What are you really giving up in 10 acres of a quarter to do something a little different?
5: A- absolutely. And then that's that's the, that's the way to treat those acres. And if those salt spots are growing, uh, it's a water problem. And it's because we're not using the water uh, there efficiently. And so so barley or, or other crops that are tolerant, I, 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 you know, I'm not a sugar beet expert, but, but I've heard that sugar beets uh, do well. And I know you got to have a special market and a contract for all that. And, you know, you want to do a whole field when you do sugar beets, but you can include them in the cover crop. And uh you know there's some others as well that uh will do a little bit better as well so in generally those grasses are it you know the the grasses are good they have a, a fibrous root system and and um you know if you throw in some sorghums and things like that, you've got some larger roots there as well, so you know I, I just think that's that's a good option find a find a kid that's got livestock or <laughs> for an old guy that's got livestock and plant a forage and chop that off and then plant another one i mean that's that's i think that's the way to go well definitely
2: trying something different is the right thing when the same thing over and over again is not working why not not why not take a chance and try something else we're talking with anthony bly here at south dakota state university anthony thank you so much really appreciate having you on good luck here this spring
5: Hey, you too, Darren. And, and sorry, I got so excited. I, I oh, mean, that's so good. I mean, my thing. So. Are, are
2: you kidding, Anthony? I work <laughs> with my brother, Brian, every day. He gets all worked up. I mean, you start talking about a couple of his hot button issues and he gets all fired up to you. No, we like it. We like the passion.
5: Good. Okay. We uh, have a good day.
2: You bet. You as well. All right, Brian, I uh, had a couple of really good things here, and, and we got talking about that soil that, that may be tough to for roots to penetrate, and maybe you're having some drainage issues. And then we got a question that came in from Darren in central Pennsylvania. And he said, I attached a picture of my soil here. I've got a heavy clay topsoil, and I've got a clay subsoil too. I'm trying to grow sweet corn and potatoes. I'm wondering if you think I should rip this ground or put on calcium sulfate or gypsum to try to loosen things up. What do you think about that in a tight soil putting calcium on? Is there any potential that that could create an imbalance?
0: Well, there's always a potential we can create an imbalance. So for us to make a recommendation saying, sure, throw a bunch of gypsum out there without looking at your soil test, I think would be a little bit reckless on our part. Yeah,
2: I agree. So Darren, for 30, 25 or 30 bucks, you can get a complete soil analysis with pH on it, base saturation, uh, all the nutrients and, and micronutrients. And then we can have a really good idea of what we can do. I do agree with you that, that the odds are, Calcium is probably going to be part of your solution here, that if we put some calcium out there, it looks really sticky. And in our soils that look like that on our farm, we have too much magnesium and not enough calcium, but it's hard to tell without the actual numbers.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. So er, earlier in the show, we were going through a soil test just a little bit, and the farmer had 35 CEC, so super heavy. And right away, you know, on our farm, when I see 35 CEC, almost always it's really high magnesium. Well, guess what? This farmer's wasn't. So he had pretty good levels of calcium already, and he actually had lots of sulfur out there. So in his case, adding gypsum isn't going to do any good at all. And there would be something else that we would need. So deep ripping, yes, that's possible. Otherwise, just getting something growing out there. And I think that was the point for Anthony Bly, like, Look, if you can't raise anything else in some of these high pH spots or whatever, at least try some barley or just get something, anything growing, and that's going to help with your soil porosity.
2: All right. Got a question here. This one's from MR who says, hi, I'm wondering, can we mix boron and zinc together in the sprayer and spray that, or should they be put on separately?
0: You could mix them in the sprayer, but like we always say, be careful, do a jar test first. We just don't want you to have any mixing issues. But generally speaking, you're putting on such low rates of both that the odds are pretty strong that they're going to mix okay. But again, just be careful.
2: Well, And if you're feeding the crop, you're probably not varying the rate. So then it's okay to mix them together. But if you said, you know what, I'm going to vary the rate. There's some areas I want a two X well, rate of,
6: of course, zinc out there and a,
2: versus a one X. Well, then you should probably spray them separate, but the way it sounds, you should be able, should be just fine doing them together. Uh, Get this one from uh, Captain Murr who says, how do you guys irrigate your land? Well, guess what, Captain? We don't. We're dry land farmers. We don't have
0: any irrigation here. And we only get 22, maybe 24 inches of total annual precip since last July 6th. I think we're going on eight or nine total inches of precip. That's it. So setting up for a dry year, but all we need is a few timely rains and we can still raise a great crop. Stay tuned, we're going to keep talking about iron deficiency chlorosis in soybeans right after this.
1: Protect your empire, rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use-rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
3: This is Quick Dick McDick from Tufnel asking you, have you heard of Mandaco Land Rollers? They're the ones with the green paint, and I'm not talking about the green paint that requires a technician and a laptop to fix. I'm talking about the Mandaco green paint that doesn't need fixing because it's built tough. We're talking five-eighths thick, 42-inch diameter drums, people, and I've learned never to talk about size unless you can back it up when a measuring tape gets pulled out. So keep your seed and rocks in the ground where they belong and get yourself a roller at mandaco.com.
1: A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Precision crop nutrition pays. When it comes
3: to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Panther, Credit Extreme, and Cheetah for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these challenging times, we know you're under pressure. New Farm's here to help.
2: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're heading up to North Dakota State University to talk to Hans Kandel. Hans, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. All right, we're talking about iron deficiency chlorosis in soybeans. And I know when we drive through North Dakota in the summer, we definitely see some yellow spots out in fields sometimes it's iron deficiency chlorosis, sometimes it might be something else. That's part of what makes this a little bit tricky is that a lot of times farmers will say, well, I'm sure I've got iron deficiency chlorosis out there and it may or may not be.
6: Well, that is true. But, you know, if you're looking at uh, the chances for having IDC in our region, uh, it is very likely. So most of the yellowing that we see is, uh, is iron chlorosis deficiency. And it is fairly easy to diagnose because if you look at it, close up you'll see that the leaves are yellow but oftentimes the the veins uh, in the leaves are still green so uh, it is fairly easy to uh, separate from like say if it is nitrogen deficiency or other things where the whole leaf has uh, the yellow color
2: OK, well, it's e- it may be easy to identify, but it's not quite as easy to solve. Because I know there's a lot of farmers that will say, man, I'm fighting this thing every year and in some of the same spots of the fields. What would you do for a farmer who, who says, I've got iron deficiency chlorosis, I need to get this thing fixed down the road. What's the solution?
6: Well, it is um, a number of things that you can do and kind of consider. So first of all, it is the variety selection because we know that there is differences in the response of uh, the varieties to idc the second thing i would say is making sure that your field is suitable for soybeans like if you have salt areas soybean does not like salt it also doesn't like uh, bicarbonates so if you have high bicarbonates uh, in in the region that causes that uh, that uh, uh, kind of idc symptom Uh, the other thing you can do is to increase the number of plants uh, and so that can be two ways you can do go wider row spacing or and uh, increase your seeding rate and the reason is that each soybean plant has the ability to acidify around the root system so if you have more plants it is more likely that uh, around the root zone it is a little bit acidic and then the plant will be able to take up uh, uh, the iron a little bit easier and then there is a possibility to put uh, an iron chelate with the seed that will help, but it needs to be always done in combination with uh, a kind of a more tolerant variety and some of the other things that I mentioned. One last thing that farmers some farmers have done is to plant a cover crop at the same time as the uh, the soybeans uh, for instance oats, and the oats will take up some excess uh, water as well as nitrates and Those two things oftentimes reduce the uh, amount of IDC that we see, but then you have to control the oats in time so that it doesn't become a weed.
2: I keep asking the question about iron deficiency chlorosis, hoping someone has the silver bullet that oh, you just need to do one thing and it'll go away. But it's oh, it's it's such a a management. Yeah, it's a big, big management uh, task, no doubt about that. Okay, so in North.
6: One more thing that you and you have been promoting it too, but I was thinking, uh, I've been uh, working with tile drainage, and tile drainage does reduce iron chlorosis, but it is, uh, again, one tool in the box, because it removes the excess moisture out of the topsoil, but if there are other factors, we will still get some iron chlorosis, but that is another strategy.
2: All right. One other question for you. Since there are so many different crops planted in North Dakota, do you you see the same issues in a cornfield or in some of these other crops? Or do other crops just handle it much better than soybeans?
6: Well, that's a very good question. And the answer is that we have a different system of uptake of, uh, of iron. So typically the grain crops, the grass crops, don't have the issue with iron chlorosis as we see that in soybeans. So soybean in that case is a little bit unique. Dry beans can have it, but uh, a little bit less than than soybeans. But the grain crops, uh, like uh, we have uh, the corn and the wheat, they typically don't have iron chlorosis.
2: Yeah, very interesting. Hans Kandel uh, with North Dakota State University. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, and good luck here this spring.
6: Okay, thank you.
2: Thank Bye. you got Ryan Hageman with us right now with CHS to talk a little about soy green as well. Ryan, uh, we were talking with Hans Kandel up at North Dakota State and he said, you know, you could also use some chelated iron. So thought we'd talk to you about that just a little bit.
7: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: All right. Now not all iron chelates are the same. And this is one thing that's been interesting. I've talked to so many farmers over the years that said, well, I tried this iron chelate or that one. What, what form do you need iron to be in to really overcome this problem?
7: So the, the thing is that you need, need the iron to be in, in the right forms in the soil and available. That it That is the one thing that it needs to be available to the plant as well and not tied up within the soil. And the product that we have that, that does a really nice job with that is soy green.
2: Okay. So talk to us about, about how soy green works. And I, I know we've use soy green over the years. A lot of farmers that we've worked with have used it and and they say, man, if you put that in furrow, it just sets you up for success, much more so even than than coming back in later. What what have you found with it?
7: Correct. That that is absolutely correct. We have found too that if you have the iron available in the root zone and available when the plant needs it, we've seen a lot better results than than if we do foliar. The one thing that you gotta remember is that foliar, you're already seeing the symptoms. And so by the time you put it on foliar, you're already having some uh, negative yield results. Whereas if you have it in furrow and the plant has it readily available, it, it's there when the plant needs it. The one thing with soy green is it has the ortho-ortho EDDHA chelate, which allows it to stay in the plant usable form longer and not tie up in the soil. And that way it's it's more available to the plant when the plant needs it.
2: Okay, so for all our listeners, he said ortho, ortho, E-D-D-H-A chelate. Yes, it's a little different than an E-D-T-A chelate or some of these other methods. And when you think about that, having that right protection around the iron keeping it available that's what you're talking about you're not just having the right form but keeping it available for that plant so how long through the year are you seeing uptake with a soy green product or is there a certain time in the year that iron deficiency chlorosis is more important than other times
7: so the the one thing that you always have to worry about and I think Hans mentioned a little bit earlier is is the water moving through the profile and the one thing with the EDDHA, it, it makes it available and, it, and it's there in the pro, profile. But the thing is, the more water we have, iron actually will leach through the soil profile. But with the chelate, it will stay in that profile a little bit longer. And one of our latest products that we came out with is Soygreen AST, which has advanced stabilization technology. So what it is, it's a unique uh, cross-linked polymer that will spread the iron nutrients out and and not be quite grouped as well, I guess is the easiest way to say it. So they take up more pore space and they won't leach out through the soil. So the main thing is that we've got to keep it in the soil and not let it leach through the profile because iron will leach fairly readily.
2: All right, one question, a couple of questions that we get a lot, Ryan. We, we're talking with Ryan Hageman here with CHS and talking about soy green. We get questions about, okay, so I've got iron deficiency, chlorosis in parts of my field but not others. Is this something that I want to set up a, a map on my control system so I can just use the soy green in those areas, or is it something I should be using through the whole field?
7: So we've got a lot of guys that do it. Um, Both ways that uh, you get into the Red River Valley and sort of western Minnesota, those guys have what we call severely hot iron deficiency chlorosis. And those are the guys that are going to be using it fence row to fence row. I do have quite a few that you can set up a map. And a lot of cases, you're going to see a higher pH and higher calcium carbonates where you're going to see a problem with iron deficiency chlorosis. And we've identified them through through maps and, and our testing. And the thing is that the one thing that guys have to think about is that typically soy green will help in cases even when you don't see iron deficiency chlorosis. So even if you're not running the full one gallon liquid or three three pound um, dry soluble rate that you can use a lesser value in those areas and variable rate a little bit. And then that way we're also seeing yield advantages, even where we're not seeing the hottest iron deficiency uh, symptoms.
2: There is no one easy solution for iron deficiency chlorosis, but we're talking today about a bunch of different things that a grower can do. One of them, putting the right form of iron out there in an ortho, ortho, E-D-D-H-A chelate like soy green. Ryan Hageman, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on.
7: You bet. Thanks for having me.
2: We'll be right back taking your calls and questions after this.
1: Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy to tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
5: Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
7: Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior on our farm in the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, you will be able to reduce fertilizer side so it's really simplified our operation.
1: See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com.
7: Heat, drought,
1: wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltema fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window, uh. makes life simple, and it's a secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. VelTima Fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. VelTima Fungicide is not registered in all states.
7: Pentair Hypro 3D Nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta Fungicide Application Field Trials have shown Hypro 3D Nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro.
1: Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from FarmShop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, You earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio been talking about iron deficiency, chlorosis, and soybeans, but we've been getting a number of questions here via email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to dive into some of those. Also, if you would like to give us a call, our phone lines are open at 844 44 AGPHD. Got this one from David. He's up in Michigan. He said, I'm wondering uh, if you've, uh, I've heard of some of the different generic chemical companies out there. Looks like there might be one that has an azoxystrobin fungicide plus bifenthrin insecticide product that mixes really well together with pop-up fertilizer. I'm looking for something that would stay in suspension better than something like Xanthian or Capture LFR. I've had some issues with those in the past. Just wonder if you have any experience.
0: Yeah, there's nothing that's going, to be, that's going to stay in suspension better than Capture LFR. So if you're having problems with Capture LFR, there's nothing that's going to work for you. I wish I could tell you there was something better. There just isn't. Yeah, and, and fungicides but, are tough.
2: Fungicides but, are tough to stay mixed with fertilizer.
0: That's, that's what I was just going to say. There is no fungicide straight that I can think of that you can mix with straight fertilizer, and it's going to stay mixed well. That's just not going to happen.
2: Okay, so David's up in Michigan, Brian, and uh, so he's in the north. And I look at this too, David. We're in April in Michigan. I would expect it's going to be cold every morning. If you would keep these products in the heated shop overnight and keep them warm, you're going to have better luck mixing things. That doesn't mean it's all going to mix perfect or anything like that. But I know when it's cold, it makes it that much tougher for those things to well,
0: mix. Well, yes, but again, I mean the fungicide thing. You're, it's not going to happen. So you got to give that up. You 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 got to put a different system on a second system is what I'm trying to say and inject it that way because if you want to continue to use it and we are proponents of using fungicide in furrow now you also could use there is a product uh, manticore from BSF that's the combination of headline and uh, and capture LFR and it it does seem to mix fairly well in liquid fertilizer but again that's a that's a premix My point was there's no straight fungicide we know of that does mix well in fertilizer. So manticore is about the only thing that we know of that would be a combination of Capture LFR and Headline. So insecticide and fungicide, and it mixes fairly well with liquid fertilizer. But yeah, I mean, you've got to try it out on your farm. If nothing is working, nothing is working. You just got to use a separate system. We do like in these really cold soils having the fungicide. When the soil warms up, the fungicide does not seem to pay as well. Insecticide, though, pays all the time because that's dependent on bugs. So if you have bugs, that pays all the time.
2: All right. Thanks for the questions. Uh, I got a few different questions here. This is from Josh in Illinois who attended the Neil Kenzie seminar back in February online. And apparently we missed his questions that he had for that seminar. I didn't get to them. Uh, so we,
0: we had hundreds of uh, questions come in, so it was a little hard, so, but we apologize. Yeah, anyway, go there's ahead. There's
2: probably going to be another, once I say that, there's probably somebody else that's like, wait, I had a question that you missed too. Yep. But, uh, okay. So, so I got a few questions for you. I've got a 160 acre field that I attached soil samples from. It's front and back on that sheet. Yep. Got it. And he said, no, first of all, I know you're going to criticize that I only took about 15 samples, uh, but but that's just what it is. He said, uh, one time I'd heard Neil say that a potassium level could not be increased if the pH is over 6.5. I've heard you guys disagree with that. I'm planning on putting some potassium out there on the farm in the spring. I'm wondering, will I be throwing away my money? I'm also adding 21 pounds of elemental sulfur to the fertilizer blend and wondering if that will help on my pH as well.
0: 21 pounds isn't going to do anything for your pH. That's really low. If you want to talk about 200 pounds, Yes, that could start lowering your pH a little bit, but your pH isn't bad. It's an average of 6.9. So, and here's the thing. That can vary a little bit from lab to lab, year to year, sample to oh, sample. Yeah, also, you've only, so, you
2: got sample every 10 acres, so.
0: Yeah, but he doesn't have anything that's super high or super low. But they're low. all right. pretty good. Right, they're all, they're all relatively close. The lowest I see here is 6.5, and the highest I see is 7.3. So I, I'm not super worried. I, he, he, honestly, here's your biggest issue. Your your potassium's too low. If you get that potassium up to 4% base saturation K or more, now we're talking. And you're going to see that pH most likely start to equalize. But you also have to look at, uh, hey, I got to make sure every nutrient is right. Well, your sulfur is really low. Uh, your phosphorus is just barely enough. Your boron is low. Uh, and you got spots where the zinc is a little bit low. I mean, it's not terrible. Well, actually, I, I guess I would say it's it's pretty low because, let's put it this way, your phosphorus, uh, oh yeah, and you do have some low spots. Okay, sorry, and I realize this is terrible radio for our listeners, but 60 pounds of phosphorus is what I see at the low. That's roughly 30 parts per million. To me, that would be really, really low and very yield limiting. Okay, now, it depends on your yield goal. So if you're not shooting for high yields, then it's, it's maybe okay. Or let's say you're raising wheat or something, it, it might be okay. But anyway, here, here's my point. Even at that, 30 parts per million, we like a 10 to 1 ratio of phosphorus to zinc. Well, you're at 1 or 2 parts per million on zinc. So your zinc's too low. So here's my point. You get your phosphorus levels up in all the spots. You get your K up everywhere. You get sulfur up because right now it's like five parts per million. That needs to be more like 20 to 40 at least. And then you get your zinc up, you get your boron up, you get all these nutrients up. I bet that pH is going to start leveling out at around that six and a half, which would be absolutely perfect. Yeah, so that's
2: a, it's a function yeah. of the nutrient balance in the soil. The right. other thing is, I know Neil talks about this and he has on our show too, that it's hard to build potassium levels when you have a higher pH Uh, But he doesn't. Above 6.5 is what Neil says. But we've questioned Neil about this and said, well, we've had good luck. Here's what we've done. And Neil's like, oh, well, you guys were willing to add sulfur too. Well, if you add sulfur, that helps.
0: No, no, no. He didn't say sulfur. He said, were you working on pH? And I said, yes, here's what we were doing. We were adding the potassium, but we were also adding sulfur and doing some of these other nutrients. And basically, our nutrients were out of balance. So that's the whole point. You you start working working on your well, nutrients, the point, getting them in balance, the pH is going to be I'm coming disagree down, with you a little and bit, then Brian. raise I, the potassium. That,
2: that is part of it, but the point Neil was making is when you put the sulfur out there, you're opening up some of those binding spots in the soil to kick some other things off that will attach to the sulfur, which will then open up the weak charge of potassium to hook on. So he said it's tough because you've got some of those tough double positives out there, like magnesium in our case, that we're trying to lower the magnesium a little bit and increase the K at the same time. Okay, two more questions. So from uh, from Josh in Illinois still, he said, so speaking of the phosphorus, does triple super make your P test go up? I once heard Neil talk about that phosphorus is only good for about one year from triple sulfur or triple super.
0: Well, the, the thing is, are, are you really going to build your soil much over this? On average, he's at, let's call it 60 parts per million. So sixty parts per million on average is fine. There's no—he's he's probably not going to be building a whole lot beyond that. All I'm saying is, most likely with the triple super, you're only putting out what you're going to remove anyway. So does it carry over into the next year? It, it, it all depends. Could it get get tied up? Yes, but it's much less likely to get tied up when your pH is just about ideal, which yours is, and your calcium and magnesium levels are also just about ideal. You're at roughly. magnesium and 75% calcium. So do I know it's going to get tied up? No. Is there a chance?
2: There always is. All right. Then the last question Josh has is uh, thinking about ammonium thiosulfate. I'm wondering, is it a quick-release nitrogen or more like ammonium sulfate where the nitrogen portion lasts more like 60
0: days? Okay. For both ammonium sulfate and ammonium thiosulfate, I know Neil has fairly hard and fast rules of, well, it's going to come available over 60 days. But let's face it, it depends on your drainage, how much bacteria is in your soil, how much heat you have, how much moisture you have, interactions with other nutrients to some degree. I mean, there are a lot of things going on there. So when you have ammonium, that's not going to release as quickly as if you have nitrate. So is it going to be available immediately? No. Is it going to be available soon? Yes. How long? That's a good question.
2: All right. Uh, then i get a comment here. This one's from Richard. He said you guys were talking about combine fires on your show one time and talking about keeping things clean. I clean my engine every morning before I start with a steam cleaner and a, a small tanker with a generator and the cleaner because it's about six years ago, I had a combine fire and I've learned. Hey, Richard, thanks for sharing that out there. Yeah, you don't want to take a chance that you're going to have a big disaster like that. Spend a little extra time keeping things clean. I know we're going to get busy here real shortly, but that's a good thing to keep in mind. Stay tuned.
1: Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match.
5: Mm Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match herbicide.
1: Oh, my bad. From the top. Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva Agriscience. It's not a typo, it's an upgrade. The AR stands for Arlax Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds and wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. High-yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from FarmShop MFG. The Germinator's spike design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed-to-soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet, however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way.
2: back you're listening to Ag PhD Radio our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com it's exactly what Ed from Indiana did he said I recently installed a new yard light security light it's really close to my garden I'm just wondering is there any concern with certain plants reaching maturity like soybeans do I have pumpkins potatoes cucumbers zucchini tomatoes and onions Ed, I'm coming over that sounds good I think you got a lot of good stuff growing there all right Brian what do you think about the yard light
0: yes it is a little bit concerning so it depends on the intensity and the type of yard light we're talking about so I'm no expert in that but I do know there are people that have had issues with things maturing now uh, it's not necessarily every plant so I, I unfortunately don't have great details for you here other than to say would I be concerned yes and I'm, I'm curious what's, what's going to happen, quite frankly. I'd also say this, the odds are probably high that you're not going to move your garden and you really want this light for security, right? So if you want both of those things, I think it's just a trial and error deal where you're going to say, all right, well, let's give it a shot. We'll see what happens. Let us know how you turn out.
2: All right, thanks for the question. Got this one from Willie, and he said, I'm wondering about Acuron and mixing with other things. I'm wondering, could I mix Acuron with 30% ASN? I don't know what ASN is. And a half pound of liquid
0: atrazine, or would
2: I need a surfactant?
0: Okay, so if we're talking about post-emerge use of Acuron, then having a surfactant in there would be a little bit helpful I don't, I, I don't remember off the top of my head on the label with Acuron specifically, but I can tell you what it is, is it's dual and atrazine, uh, it's bicyclopyrone, and it's uh, Callisto. Well, the bicyclopyrone and Callisto, they're both HPPDs, and HPPDs work better post-emerge or in a burndown uh, if you have crop oil or methylated seed oil or something like that in there. Adding surfactant could help a little bit, just not as much as the oils. If all you're after is residual and pre-emerge use, then using a surfactant or an oil or any of that isn't going to make one bit of difference. So all depends on what you're trying to do with this. But as we are always going to say, just read and follow label directions. Most things will mix with Acuron if you have enough water in there. So I don't know what, again, this 30% ASN thing is or how much you're going to throw in, but... On the label, it will tell you a lot of things can mix, but there are, there are a tremendous amount of things that can mix with most herbicides. So, odds are you're going to be fine. If you want to give us a little more information on what this ASN 30% product is and how much you're going to use, then we can give you a more specific answer on that as well.
2: All right, got a Question, comment here from Gordon. He said, I've heard you guys talk about Zyway fungicide and heard you talk about trying a little bit of that yourselves. I was reading on an online ag forum and some farmers there were talking about issues with slower emergence yep. and Zyway. wonder if you've heard about this yes. and what you would recommend.
0: Okay, so... Uh, Yes, we have seen some data out there and we've talked to a few farmers that have said they've seen slower emergence. I will say though, we used some last year on our farm. It didn't really seem to slow down emergence, but we also use about 35 seed treatments. And we use in fungicide, insecticide, and pop-up fertilizer. So we've been able to take corn that normally will pop up in 100 GDUs and get it to pop up in 70 or 80 or, worst case scenario, 90 GDUs. So way faster than normal. Maybe it's because of all the things we're doing that's offsetting the little bit of emergence slowdown that Zaiwei does seem to give All I know is when I look at the trial work that's done out there, they're gaining yield. And I always tell people, look, at the end of the day, honestly, I don't really care how planting goes, spraying, harvest, anything. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do. But my point here is all that really matters at the end is did it pay or did it not? Did the Zyway pay financially or did it not? I don't care if it slows down emergence. I don't care what plant looks like. I just care, did it pay? So sure, if something's going to slow down emergence, you're going to right away say, well, the odds are it's not going to do as well, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it, it's going to pan out that way. So what we do talk about all the time here on the show is, hey, just try stuff. Make sure you're trying it on a small scale. Prove it to yourself. But so far, do I have some concern about the Zyweight? Yes. Are we still going to use some on our farm? Yes. We're just going to use it on a few acres, not the whole farm.
2: All right. Got a question here. This is from Mike and he said, Hey guys, I got my soil sample back and I need some guidance. This is in my garden and I'm concerned my pH is at 7.5. I've got a CEC of around 22 and I have 10% organic matter built up in this garden area. Just wondering (laughs) what kind of suggestions you would have to try to lower pH or if there's something else I should be focused on here.
0: Okay. So let's see. We got 160 parts per million of phosphorus. On the potassium, it's 300, but I'm looking for a base saturation percentage. I didn't see
2: one. And this is one thing, too, I'd say, Mike, the soil test. This is the first one that I've seen that looks like that. We see a lot of soil tests here. Yeah, we, uh, we we look for a couple other things. So I don't know what that test cost you, and I don't really care what lab you go to. But uh, we we would run if you said, hey, I want to send a sample in. I'd say, okay, uh, send one to Midwest Labs. They're the largest lab in North America, and it costs you twenty-five to thirty bucks to get a complete analysis with base saturation that Brian's talking about micronutrients, the whole works. And it's easier for us to make a recommendation off that because we'd have to do a few calculations probably off this, but
0: oh, uh, yeah, but I, I, I guess I don't know if three- I'm super
2: worried about that 7.5 pH. There's probably some right. crops you might grow that, that maybe don't like that as much as they would a uh, mid sixes pH, but yeah, I don't think that's the biggest issue here. What's the sulphur at? Just curious, Brad. One hundred
0: and twenty-six parts per million. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. There's so, some that, sulfur so that, so that, yep. So that's good. I mean, they're, they're, almost everything here is is very high. Probably the two things that would concern me the most are one, your boron is all the way up at eleven parts per million. Now there are a lot of people, a lot of agronomists, who are going to say, "Boy, if you start getting over three to five parts per million, you might have toxicity." So I don't know how you got so much boron out there, but I would sure. Uh, I, I would definitely not be applying more boron at least for a little bit. When I see boron levels and sulfur levels this high, it also tells me, do I possibly have a drainage issue out there? So, and I realize this is a vegetable garden, but you you literally could put a tile line in at two or three feet deep to make sure that water's flushing out instead of uh, staying there. But when your sodium levels aren't high at all, your soluble salt levels aren't high at all, I I don't I can't tell you for sure that you do have a drainage issue. Your cation exchange capacity is only 22, so it's not bad. But anyway, the boron is my number one concern that it's too high. That's 11. Your organic matter being 10%. I, I realize we always say here on the show, boy, we want to build organic matter up, and we do. But the limit for me is about 5 to 7%. When you start getting clear up to 10%, that soil can lock in a lot of things. So it's going to hold a lot of water. It's going to, I mean, which could be good or bad it's going to hold chemistry, it's going to potentially cause some issues tying up some of those herbicides that might get applied. But I'm not saying it's it's bad or anything else in your case and for a vegetable garden. It's just I'm probably not going to be putting more manure and more compost and stuff like that out there because my organic matter is already so high. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the nutrient levels actually look pretty good on most things. I can't can only imagine though that potassium were probably just a touch low on it in relation to everything else because everything else is so high so for me i'm probably going to tell you you know what i might take a look at that i'd have to run the number on the base saturation um, and and run some calculations but you might need just a little bit more potassium but most everything else actually looks pretty decent here
2: All right, thanks for the questions and good luck with your garden this year. Got this one from Clint in western Kentucky. He said, we seem to get southern rust just about every year anymore. I've been spraying my corn at 6 to 7 feet tall. It's the tallest I can get through with my sprayer and I've been using Trivapro and it's been working pretty good. I'm putting it out with 15 gallons of water. Just wondering, is there a better way to try to combat southern rust or a better fungicide to use? Also, curious about the new Zyway, if that has any impact and if if it's a rate specific first of all clint i don't think i don't think southern rust is one that zyway is really targeting but the other thing i'd say is your six to seven foot tall corn if we can get that ear leaf that really helps if we can get the ear leaf protected with fungicide that that's going which to be he, which uh, i'm
0: sure he is yeah. and is there something better than triva pro it's three modes of action it's good are there some other three mode of action products uh, or even two that are as good sure We're not as worried about which fungicide to use. It's more about the timing and the rate and that kind of thing. It's just you might need a second application. You might have to call in a plane, maybe try that on a few acres. That'd be our only other suggestion beyond what you're already doing.
2: Thanks for the question, Clint. We really appreciate that. Thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.